Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. It's been said that laughter is the best medicine. I don't know if it's the best medicine, but it's certainly been extremely therapeutic in my life. That's why I'm excited to talk with Audra Sisek today about doing stand-up comedy and how therapeutic comedy is in Audra's life and how it can be helpful to so many others in the autistic community. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Audra, thanks so much for joining us today. Ah, thank you for having me. So, you know, recently, you know, I was just mentioning to you off before we started recording that I've wanted to talk about comedy for a while here at Autism Stories. Haven't done it too much, and I knew you were the person that I wanted to talk with, so I appreciate you making time today. Oh, yeah, happy to do it. (laughs) So I wanted to start off and just learn a little bit about where does your story in the autistic community begin? Tough question. My diagnosis actually came late in life, my early 30s, but my actual advocating started around the age 30s. I guess I was about 34, 35, and it really started with like Lyric, Neurodivergent Rebel, and Becca. You know, I really came up with all of them. Now, I know recently you started doing something that I find fascinating, and that's stand-up comedy. Wondering, what was the tipping point, or was there something in particular that made you want to say, I have to do this thing and do it right now? (laughs) So there's a few factors that went into that. I love comedy. I have been fascinated by stand-up comedy my entire life. I've watched specials from... Sam Kiniston, George Carlin, all the way up to comics now, Jim Gaffigan, Mike Birbiglia. And I just thought, it's amazing the performance. You can get up there just to talk about your life and get a reaction from the audience. And I've watched it all my life. And then I decided when I started, I hit midlife crisis mode (laughs) and decided that, you know what, I'm going to do this too. I have two friends, Jen Etchelson and Dante Barnett, who really inspired me to get up. And they said, you know what, go out and do it. Try it. If you don't like it, you know, then they said, just, you know, you don't have to do it again. And then my friend Bob DeBono, who is another great comedian, is currently teaching me classes. And so he said, he even said, too, he goes, Audrey, you need to get out there. So what are you kind of learning in these classes at this point? So we have guests that come on and we go over the comedy business, different types of bookers, how to write, how to get on stage, how to work the stage, how to work a crowd, you know, things like that. 
Now, for every comedian, they, you know, they'll sometimes tell a joke and the crowd doesn't respond in the way they were hoping for. Uh, yeah. How, you know, how, you know, I don't know if you've dealt with those situations at this point, but if so, how, how have you dealt with that experience? Uh, yeah, so I'm still a very new comic and I have this habit that all new comics have, which is they rush through their material mm. and it's because they're so focused on getting through it that they forget to stop and let someone laugh. <laughs> so I actually just started recently doing that where I'm trying to slow down and I have gotten these reactions where I have bombed on stage now and no one will laugh. There's just no response. And it is terrifying because you're talking about yourself and you're trying to make someone laugh and you're like, oh my gosh, that did not go well. And you think you're this horrible shit person. And so I usually try to come back. From, so again, this goes back to the classes, which is great. You learn how to do crowd work. So my usual comeback is, you know, that was a joke. We're supposed to laugh at that part. <laughs> I think I'm just going to use that in just my entire life, just going through life. I'm just going to say, if, if things don't work out, I'm just going to say that was a joke. You're supposed to laugh at it. Yeah. So, you know, I think such a big part of comedy is actually maybe the executive functioning of it all. What you don't see on stage prior to the performance and planning for what the comic is actually about to say. Where do you usually get your inspiration on what you want to talk about as a stand-up comedian? And how do you develop like, a comedy set around those things? That's really difficult. I struggled with that a lot, and that's why I ended up taking the classes. Bob DeBono, I call him Bobby, uh, we've been friends for years, and I had actually met him at a comedy club. I went backstage, we ended up talking, and we just, again, just became friends. And so he got me to this class, and he's, you know, he's trying to tell me about how to write and how to go forward, because I know how to write a, like, I know how to write a research paper, basically. I don't know how to creatively sit and just write feelings. That's not my thing. So it's difficult. He'll give me a topic. I found it helpful if he gives me something first. So he'll say, tell me about your worst vacation. And then I'm able to blow out ideas from there. And so now I've started doing that at home myself where I'll pick out my own ideas at home and then write them down. I'd imagine this is sort of a strange period in history to start doing stand-up comedy. Have you had a chance to do much stand-up in person, or has it mostly been through Zoom? Oh, it's mainly been through Zoom. I do plan on getting out there next month. It's just personal issues, medical issues going on in my house. I've just mainly done Zoom. Mm -hmm. Do you see there may be some big challenges for you or other people potentially for other autistics when doing comedy in front of crowds? Yes. <laughs> Timing. Not knowing when to stop talking. I do that all the time. <laughs> um, light. I'm epileptic. And so no flashing light. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of sensory. There's people talking. There's plates banging. Glasses clinking. You have to really know your set and your material in order to drown out all of that other stuff. Have you just like disclosed that information and like what's been kind of the response to that? 
Yeah, I do. I actually ask for my own supports. They'll just say, do you need a light? Do you need this? And usually producers are actually really good about that. They'll say, do you need transcripts on? Or, you know, I haven't run into a problem yet. Okay, so like lighting has not been like an issue or anything like that up to this point? No, not to this point so far. <laughs> so in addition to doing stand-up comedy, you are also a therapist. So, <laughs> so often in the autistic community, we talk about so many really serious, important things living in an ableist society. Therefore, I'm kind of interested to learn your thoughts on how therapeutic comedy can be for autistic people in navigating their daily lives. Oh, interesting. It definitely helps make me laugh. It makes me see the lighter thing, side of things because I can joke about it later. Part of my routine, I definitely have bits about like my family life and my mom and you know, not all of it's good with my mom. Now I can get all of that out, and like I said, it's almost like therapy for me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for, for sure. What's been your family's response to some of those bits? <laughs> That's funny because they did come to me and say, could we just hear it first before you go on stage? <laughs> so everything has been pre-approved. <laughs> okay. There shouldn't be too much censorship in, in comedy. No, it's not too bad. <laughs> so as I mentioned, you are a therapist and are the founder of Healthy Wings Therapy. In what ways does help Healthy Wings help people um, that use your services? Oh, so my company, mainly me, we service kids who are 8 years old to about 18 we do a lot of executive functioning skills, adaptive living skills. We don't really focus too much on social, but what we do is mental health. And we talk a lot about social emotional learning, which just kind of is a confidence booster for kids, which I find is probably the most important during those years. And that helps them kind of get along through their journey. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering about comedy and the autistic experience. Do you feel like with comedy, is there anything that should be off limits in terms of the autistic experience and using that in a stand-up routine? Yeah, definitely. There's actually something, a term in the comedy world called punching down. And it's just where you make jokes or you make fun of somebody that's either not part of your community or it's really just hurtful to another community. So I definitely don't do punching down jokes. <laughs> You'll never see me, you know, imitating meltdowns or something like that or self-injurious behaviors. So punching down, would that kind of be in reference to something that's gotten a lot of attention recently with some of the, the Dave Chappelle special on Netflix? Yeah, I was going to say, most people ask me about that one. <laughs> Dave Chappelle definitely did something what is called punching down. He even admitted that he did that. And it's because he made transphobic jokes in a in part of a community that he is not even part of. And yeah, so he had no right. 
Now, this is probably the first time I've uttered this sentence on autism stories. Uh, definitely, actually. If someone wants to uh, have a therapy appointment with you or book a stand-up gig, how can they go about doing so? I mean, I do have a website. Uh, currently, right now, Healthy Wings for support services, we are not taking new clients. I just unfortunately don't have enough people to work right now. It's really hard to find people to work. I am open for assessments. I do conduct those. And so if you need an ADOS or an FBA, definitely available. And you can just go on my website or contact me through my email, which is my name, Audra Sisak at gmail.com. As far as booking, then you just contact me through email or you can get me on Instagram or TikTok. Hmm. And something that we haven't talked about right before uh, we finish up is that you're involved in a couple of different podcasts, I believe. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that and how they can go about checking those out? Yeah. So I co-host two podcasts. One is Autastic Artist. It's a combination of autistic and fantastic. And we feature one guest that is autistic and has a really cool talent. And then we have another one, which is Dating with Disabilities, where we talk about anything relationship. And we also feature a guest on that one now as well. And it's on the first Sunday of every month, 8 a.m. and then 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's great. What type of uh, topics have you kind of tackled on the Dating with Disabilities podcast? (laughs) (laughs) We have talked about intimacy, different types of materials and things you may use when you have a physical disability, (laughs) different things with orgasms, affection, you know, autistic love language versus neurotypical love language. That's just some of the things we talk about. And we are actually on the radio and broadcast in Oregon, so it's actually like all over the place. You'll hear us all over. Oh, wow. That's fancy on the radio. That's impressive. (laughs) A real pod. That's a real program. (laughs) We went next level. Next level. Yeah. No, I can't get on the radio for sure. Uh, But I I love um, when I heard that you were starting the Dating with Disabilities podcast. I love that because those conversations are not happening nearly enough. And they're they're so important. They really are because... It's not just that autistic people, disabled people, we experience love and we want love and a sexual relationship as well. And we also have to acknowledge those out there who are asexual as well. Maybe they just want that plutonic love. So there's all different types of intimacy. And I think that conversation just needs to be normalized. Absolutely. It's fitting that we're talking now about this because this past weekend I host a monthly group called Spectrum Saturdays for people that are autistic part of the LGBTQ community as well a lot of non-binary and transgender folks and we were talking about this very topic you know there were multiple people that are asexual the you know talking about that and in relationships and you know what's love and how is that defined in, in those relationships so super important stuff yeah exactly and you wouldn't believe the amount of ableist comments you still get on Instagram just you know when I talk to some of my friends who have like maybe cerebral palsy or they have a muscular atrophy it's, it's really sad because those bodies are beautiful too 
Yeah, absolutely. It really got me starting thinking about this more and more. In the last couple years, there's been more, I think, documentaries that have come out where people with physical disabilities were talking about those things. And people are so surprised, it seems, like even 2021, like about those conversations. I don't understand it. Yeah, in my therapy, actually, that's why I have kids who are like about 8 to 18 because my focus is on puberty and sexual health and I do a lot of that education. Well, I appreciate that and I appreciate you making the time, Audra, to talk with me. Thanks so much for making your debut on Autism Stories. Oh, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks so much to Audra for the conversation. If you love something that you want to pursue, just like Audra, but aren't sure how to make it happen, then you can always book a free call with me today to learn how Autism Personal Coach can help you in this area of your life. A link for to book the free call can be found in the podcast description of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it, so they could have the same enjoyable experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. On the next episode of Autism Stories, we will discuss autistics teaching other autistics to be successful with sports and all the benefits it brings to their life. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.